Good morning. Man, you guys are a little feisty this morning. I like it. That's right. If you are tuned in on Facebook or, or YouTube, I was just going to kick it down. I'm just kidding. Is it off? All right. Uh, make a comment so we know you were there. It's encouraging to everyone that uh, follows that and, and knows what's going on. Starting a new series today called Waypoints. Um, and actually, uh, this is the series, and then next, the next series that starts in October is the pre-series. So like, yeah. You're like, Michael, why don't you do them another way around? Hey, hey, I got this. It's okay. <laughs> stop, stop yelling at me. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, what the intent is with the next, this week and the next two is to kind of help you wrap your head around what ordinary faith's about and what the Christian life's about. And maybe a little bit different perspective than you might be used to. Uh, not all of you, but some of you. I mean, I have, seriously, when, when a new person walks into ordinary faith, I, I have no idea what you're thinking other than, this is weird. <laughs> and and I, I respect that. I know I have been in a lot of churches. And, and believe me, weirder ones than this one, boring ones, angry ones, sad ones, lonely ones. I, I've been in them all. We try to be a fun one because we think Jesus is a blast. But, um, but sometimes we do have to talk about serious stuff. So today, you're at Ordinary Faith. And you probably thought, hey, I'm going to church today. And that's kind of true. What you've done is you've actually gathered with people who are part of the church. So the, the idea of I go to church is just not quite right. I mean, it's just... A little bit off. Jesus called it, in the Greek he used the word ekklesia. It means a called out assembly. And, and so really, the church's people, they don't decide to get up and come together. Jesus calls them together. And then when he calls them together, they don't come together and consume something or participate in a concert or, or we call them a worship service, but they're just Christian concerts, um, and talks. He, he calls them together to be something, to do something. And so you, what you should know about ordinary faith, and just, just to be fair, I like to tell people this as soon as possible so they don't have any misconceptions. And uh, it's because everyone has misconceptions, even myself sometimes. Uh, okay, myself often. But when it comes to ordinary faith, what you are part of right now, we call the gateway service. I call it, because I'm from Tennessee, and I love to fish ponds, I call it stock in the pond. What does that mean? We call people together so we can begin to open a conversation. The Bible kind of calls it fishing. Jesus told Peter, I'll make you fishers of men. And so what we hope to do is raise some thoughts, some ideas that might help you realize or think about new thoughts, new ideas, particularly about God, what it means to be a Christian, to kind of help steer away from religiosity and into an actual walk with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So this isn't church. Church is when individuals that follow Jesus come together and they start acting like Jesus. It's about things that happen they do. It's an energy and a synergy. Of what God's doing. So when you come to Ordinary Faith, we're, we're not trying to build a big church service. 
what we're trying to do is build Jesus followers. Because as we learned last year, what we do on Sunday morning can be ended, stopped in a moment. And we want you to stay faithful no matter what happens. We want you to be strong. Does that make sense? That makes sense? Awesome. Okay, another way I like to think of it is potlucks and buffets. Now, if you're not at least as old as I am, you probably don't know what a potluck is. Uh, so, being from Tennessee, there is a phenomenon in the South that is uh, phenomenal. You're like, that's redundant, Michael. It's what I do. So, I remember when I lived there, and that was like 20 plus years ago now, there was a, a, a restaurant chain that opened called Ryan's. Now, Ryan's was a follow-up to Golden Corral. So Ryan's was really Golden Corral Part 2. And, and what they are, are they are buffet restaurants. And when, and when you, when I, the first time I walked into the Ryan's, it was a spiritual experience. I mean, it was worship like I had never seen before. Because in the King James, Paul said to buffet your body. I'm just kidding. I'm feeling a little silly today. Anyway, so uh, so you go in there, and there are, there are more buffets than you, you can see. People literally would eat until they exploded. There was an ambulance outside. Okay, that was hyperbole. But still, you know, it was just this huge buffet phenomenon. It was all over the South. All these different restaurant chains opened up like that. The thing about a buffet is all you do is show up. You show up and the food's laid out and there, maybe there's one buffet, maybe there's 20 buffets, but you, you don't have to bring anything. You just drop a little money in the plate, I mean at the counter, and you just come in and sit down and feed yourself until you can't stand it anymore. And literally, you try and eat enough to pay for the whole week, but then you go and eat the rest of the week anyway. That's why you get fat, but anyway. So that's a buffet. Now, potlucks. So when I was a kid, potlucks were huge, okay? Because everyone was broke. That was why they were so big. We were all broke. You couldn't afford to go out to eat. I mean, a trip to McDonald's was a big deal when I was a kid. And so you would have a church potluck, and, and people would bring their dish. And everyone in the church kind of had their dish. And someone had the church potatoes dish, and I loved that woman so much. <laughs> And someone had the, the cream uh, cheese pie cake delicious sent directly from heaven thing. And uh, anyway, everyone had their, their thing, pistachio salad. And someone always brought a salad, but it got thrown away. And <laughs> all this stuff was coming. Everyone brought a dish and shared. That's a potluck. Buffet, you pay a little money and you eat till you can't stand it. Potluck. Everyone brings what they're good at, their favorite thing, and they share it with everyone else. I think church should be a potluck. Yeah. I, I think what happens is so we get in this attitude. We're like, oh, the pastor's going to come, and he's going to lay out the buffet today. He's going to preach the word. And I, I'm going to try and do that. But let's, simply, let's be honest. I'm doing a book report on the same book every week, okay? Let's just be honest, all right? It's not that special. But what's in it is special. No doubt. But what, instead of thinking of it that way, we think of it, we should think of it this way. Okay, Papa, what you got for me today? What's, what's my specialty today? What's my, what is my dish that I can take 
to my family and share. See? That's what church should be. And so, this is valid. This is important. I'm not minimizing this. But it also needs not just the buffet. It needs the potluck. And that's what we're headed into in October. We really are encouraging you to get involved in a small group for at least eight weeks. And I know, that's a big commitment. But you can do it. It would be great for your faith. It would help you begin to see how you and your giftings and what God has done in your life fits in with the larger body. Because it does. You are here for a reason. Okay? Make sense? So let's get started into the basics of the faith. And we're going to start with the way. Because Jesus changes the way we live. Jesus said this. He said in John 14, he said, I am the, everybody say the. The. You can say the if that feels better. The, no one, okay, good, you're all with me, good, the. The way, I'm the way. Not a way, not one way. I am the way. This is very important. Nothing you encounter, no faith you study, no philosophy that you dig into is comparable to Jesus as the singular and only way to God. Okay? This is a big idea. If you're not ready to embrace it just yet, I get it. Not beating you up. But I want you to know the honest truth. Jesus said he was the only way. You need to know that, okay? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This is a very important verse. Because this words that Jesus shared, the way, stuck. This hung up in the disciples, Every now and then you you encounter something that just hangs and sticks with you, right? This idea of the way stuck so much with the original disciples and the original followers of Jesus that by the time we get to Acts, we hear Paul's story. And in Acts 22, this is how he accounts his prior profession as a terrorist and persecutor of Christians. And in Acts 22, Paul's in his account of his testimony, he said, I persecuted the followers of the way. This is very important because Jesus isn't just a decision you make. Jesus isn't a religion you practice. Jesus isn't an an accessory, an accoutrement to your life or, or, or something you stick on the dashboard of your car, a bobblehead Jesus to keep you whatever that would do for you. I got no ideas. He isn't any of those things. He's the way. And the way is a lot bigger than a single moment of your life. That moment can be important. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But Jesus changes the way that we think about things. And here's the issue. Eternity is in the balance over the way that you live, that you think, and that you believe. Eternity is in the balance. So you need to know this about me, because this is something that I, I sometimes offend people about. On Sunday morning, I'm often looking and concentrating and looking for people that Jesus is dealing with. 
And so sometimes you're going to try and catch me around the room and I'm going to be distracted because I'm looking for who Jesus is working on. I start every day, but every Sunday for sure, asking God, who should I look for today? And sometimes he gives me really cool stuff, and sometimes he just says, do your job and shut up, Michael. No, I'm just kidding. He never does that. <laughs> my, my point is, is, is that when we gather like this, we need to remember that we're here to help people and love on people. And, and, and so in all fairness, you should know this because it sounds harsh, but it's, it's, it really is a way I think. Every believer in this room, I love you, I want to support you, I want you to walk in faith in Christ, but you need to know this, the worst thing that can happen to you is you can stand face to face with Jesus. You get to go home to heaven. That is the worst thing that can happen. If you die tomorrow, we will celebrate your life and we will be jealous that you are with Jesus. A couple of years ago, I lost a dear friend, Arthur Mestis. He just dropped out of a heart attack at 60 years of age. And I, I, I was sad that he was gone, but I was mad because he got to Jesus before me. I told him he was a stinker and he cheated. So my point is, believers, I know your eternity is secure. There are a lot of people who come here on a Sunday that I run into during the week, that theirs is not. And that's always going to be a priority for me. Does that make sense? I know it sounds harsh, but you need to know that's the truth about me. Okay? So, now, Jesus, the, so they were these followers of the way. So let's figure out how to get in the way. My goal today is to get to the trailhead of the way. And I'm, I'm believing that most of the people in this room are already on the trail, and you are good to go. But you may not be. You may need to know how to help people get on the trail. So here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the problem, the answer, and the trailhead. The problem, the answer, and the trailhead. And it's pretty simple. The problem is sin. Everybody say sin. 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 Not sins. We're going to come to sins. There is a difference between sin and sins. Okay. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, all right? And so the problem is that sin is at the root of every problem. It's at the root of your problems, root of my problems, at the root of society's problems. Everything wrong, everything ugly, everything hateful, everything wicked, everything awful that's going on in the world is rooted in this idea, this truth of sin singular. Sin as a power, sin as a Influence. Now, that may be a little bit hard to wrap your, your head around, but, but think of it like a, this room. We're all breathing oxygen. Most of us, anyway. <laughs> We're all breathing oxygen. You and I are born into a world where the air we breathe is sin. It's an atmosphere. It's an atmosphere that surrounds us and, and so forth. And it ruins everything. It ruins relationships. It's the cause of all addictions, infidelities, selfishness, anger, all of it caused by sin. It ruins finances, greed, materialism, hoarding, false security, all rooted in sin. Health, it ruins health, gluttony, slothfulness, anxiety, fear, stress, all rooted directly or indirectly in this power, this atmosphere of sin. It ruins lives through violence, abusiveness, manipulation, war, on and on, all caused by sin. 
And here's the problem. People think it's a joke. People think it's a joke. People laugh self-consciously if you even bring up the word sin. And it's our deepest, most fundamental, most powerful, most life-ruining problem. It hurts people. It kills people. Suicide and homicide are all caused by sin. It is not a joke. It is not funny. And yes, sin looks like fun. It always looks like fun. And it always, it always, it always, did I say always? It always destroys the very thing it promises every single time. Every time. It promises that young adult that they can walk into easy sex through promiscuity or outside of marriage. And it promises love. But you can't love and use people. And that's what promiscuity is. That's what premarital and outside marriage sex is. Any sex outside of covenant. Outside of covenant. It promises you love and then destroys that very thing. And and the horrible reality we're facing in our world today is not only does it take away love, we are now entering a stage that it's been around so long, promiscuity and, and, and sex outside of covenant, that it's actually taking away sex itself. Yes. Sexless marriages are on an incredible rise. Because why? Because God designed this powerful, beautiful thing to happen in a place of covenant, safety, and security. Yes. You see... You didn't know there was a sex talk today, but you, there is. Now you know. We often call sex intimacy. And what we don't realize is that sex is a product of intimacy. What does intimacy mean? It means into me you see. It requires vulnerability. Can you be vulnerable in a place where you are not safe? Can you be vulnerable in a place where you feel like you could be abandoned at any moment? Do you see how Satan uses a lie, fills it with lust, makes it feel good, and then takes away everything it promises? And it's not just physical intimacy and sex. It's success, too. He pumps a lie into the world. Leave your family behind. It's more important that you make money. Secure their future. Whatever, it, whatever the lies, and you pour yourself into that career, you give all your life, all your health, all your hours to someone else. And your family, your wife or your husband, your children, your grandchildren, they waste away without your love being poured into them. And one day your health is gone. Your emotional stability is burnt up. Likely your family is gone. Satan promises success. Sin promises success, and you end up high and dry. This is a problem. Over and over again, we find places where sin just destroys and and just takes away everything in our life. And I'll tell you this, the habits of sin, this is a lesson God's teaching me right now, because all of us in the room, you may be believers and the Bible calls you saints, but that doesn't mean you're done struggling with sin just yet. And I'll tell you what sin is. And by the way, everything I just said was not meant as an indictment against you, by the way. 
Everything I said, if it pinged you in the middle, you need to realize that I also struggle with sins and sin. Okay? I would never judge you. And you will never tell me anything that I'm not going to help you walk through. Although it might be a tough walk. (laughs) But what I'm learning about sins, that they are symptoms. Everyone's trying to beat sins in their life. Pornography, greed, lust, materialism, consumerism, I don't know, you fill in the blank. Whatever you're struggling with, gossip, I don't know. I just like to throw stuff out there. Hopefully I hit everybody. Then we're all in the same boat. And that's what we need to be, all in the same boat. And we need to understand these are all symptoms of something. They are sins, they are behaviors that are rooted in sin, singular, a power, and that's what we need to beat and overcome. And here's the great thing about Jesus. The way overcomes all of that. Jesus, the way, overcomes all of that. These are all symptoms that are stealing our lives, destroying our homes, destroying our health. Sin is horrible. Before I get into the way a little bit, let me just, let me just say this. This thing is horrible that we're talking about. The problem is the largest problem you're facing in your life. I know you have immediate problems, and I know that they're, they're overwhelming, and I get it, and I'm not trying to minimize those, but what you need to know is un- those problems you're in are symptoms, and this thing called sin that Adam got us into when he and Eve decided to rebel against God, and I know you're thinking, well, all they did was eat a piece of fruit. That was not all they did. You see, because they were tempted Satan said to them, he said, God God knows that if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. And so in eating that fruit, they were actually choosing to rebel against God and become their own God. And in doing so, they became the the slave of Satan himself. It's a horrible thing. What would you do if you gave someone everything. I don't know, maybe a child, maybe, maybe just someone you cared about outside of your family. And you, you gave them everything. You gave them a house. You gave them tons of money. You provided everything. For them. You gave them just a wonderful existence. And then they betrayed you. And they hated you. And they ran you down to everybody they could find. And they destroyed your reputation They would never talk to you again. How would you react to such a betrayal? You don't have to answer that out loud. What I need you to see is that the problem of sin really shouldn't have an answer. It really shouldn't have an answer. Really, what Adam did in the garden when he rebelled against God, that should have been the final word. I'm sorry, myself, of course, I'm not God, I'm I'm not as good as Jesus for sure, but if I gave you everything and you threw it back in my face and and hated me, wanted to kill me, killed my son, I wouldn't talk to you anymore. I would unfriend you on Facebook. (laughs) Oh, I spit on myself, huh? That's why they're all looking at Steve. Thank you. To show you how bad the problem is, 
I, I think the only way to truly see it is to see what it cost. So the Bible says in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he was handed over to die. Jesus was handed over to die because of our sins. The problem of sin is so big that God had to take his one and only eternal Alpha Omega son and nail him to the cross. How big does the problem have to be for the eternal one to be nailed to a cross to fix the problem? So the next time that you get all insecure at the word sin and sins, you need to realize that that is only because you're in a world that doesn't understand what's at stake. That's the problem. It's the worst problem that there is that you will ever face. And the Bible tells us, I just jumped over a passage somehow, for everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard, and that the wages of sin is death. Sin's the problem. And there shouldn't be an answer, actually. But there is. But there is. But there is. The problem is sin. The answer. You see, I I just want us to be humbled by how big the problem is so that we could be in wonder at how amazing the solution is. So we can just maybe be in awe a little bit. We can maybe understand. You see, I believe that you're never going to get how serious the sin problem is until you actually stand in front of God. And when you actually stand in front of God, I think in that moment, you, we will all, myself included, I'm not leaving myself, I think in that moment, we'll realize, oh my gosh, it's a miracle. I'm here. Because there's this passage in Isaiah 6 that just eats my lunch. You you should write it down. You should read it. Isaiah 6. Out of several translations. But in Isaiah 6, I believe Isaiah is getting a picture of Jesus who is a representation of God. And he's seeing Jesus on his throne and surrounded by angels. And the room is just shaking as these terrifying angels are shouting holy, holy, holy about Jesus. And Isaiah, a prophet of God, been in relationship with God his whole life, is writing the Bible, walks in the room, and all he can do is lay on the floor and say, I'm undone. I'm unworthy. I'm undone. I'm unworthy. He's saying, God, you are tearing me apart with just who you are. That's why I think that when we stand before God, we are going to get a revelation of the miracle that we've been given in the gospel. So the problem is sin, so be humbled by it. But there's an answer. There shouldn't be an answer. I'm just going to make that as clear as I know how to. There should not be an answer, but there is. There should be no hope. But there's hope. Because God says in Romans chapter 3, verse 24, I love how in the Bible we get these familiar passages and we never read the next verse. So Romans 3, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short 
of the, the kingdom of God, the goodness of God, depending on what translation you're in. They all fall short. And we stop right there. There you go. We're all sinners. That's right. Unfortunately, the New Testament was written to saints. So we, if the New Testament's ever going to be for us, we've got to get from sinner to saint. How do we do that? Weirdly enough, Genesis 3.23, all sinners. Genesis 3.24 contains the answer. Sometimes you just need to read the next verse, right? Yet God. Best two words in the Bible right there. Best two words in the Bible, but God. I can't tell you how many stories the Bible are. There was a horrific mess, but God. Hey, that temple to work for your life. I'm in a horrific mess, but God. But God, in his grace, freely. Say freely. 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 Does that sound like God's stingy? I mean, is that what you're getting, stingy? I'm hearing freely. Freely like seems seems overwhelming. That's good. I like that. God in his grace, freely, overwhelmingly, excessively, radically, ridiculously. Freely makes us right. And it's like (sighs) makes us right. Dude, I'm a mess. I'm a train wreck looking for a track. I'm, I got more wrong with me than I could ever list on a piece of paper or shout about in a sermon. And God says he freely, overwhelmingly, ridiculously, radically makes me right in his sight. How? He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us, freed us, freed us from the penalty of our sins next verse god presented jesus as the sacrifice for sin people are made right with god when they believe that jesus sacrifices life shedding his blood this is the answer this is the answer it's it's not a religion it's not a routine it's not a ritual it's a person it's a way it's a journey a journey in which Jesus is leading and we are following. A journey in which Jesus, I don't want to mislead you. Jesus is the best friend you're ever going to have and the most challenging. He just loves to walk up to every broken, embarrassing place in your life that you're trying to hide. And he likes to walk up and says, hey, let's fix this. And you're like, I mean, I've been following Jesus since I was six years old. A few little detours, but we won't talk about that. I'm 51, and I know all the folks older than me go, ah, you're just a baby. All the ones younger than me, you're ancient. I feel old some days. That's all I know to say. Yesterday, my back went out putting my watch on the charger. Ooh! Literally. I'm not kidding. I'm a mess, and Jesus, after all these years, is still walking me up to these messes and going, hey, let's, let's fix this, because that's the way. What is he doing? What, does Jesus just like making you uncomfortable? He probably does, actually, but he likes setting people free. He likes, he likes healing us. He enjoys watching you and I and me 
get it. Loves it when we wake up. Loves the revelations. So Jesus is the answer. And what I want you to see in this passage, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. I want to expand this from a prayer, which may be what you're familiar with, or maybe this is a whole new day for you. I want to expand this because this is so much more than a mental assent or an agreement that Jesus is the way. What if I told you right now, this is not a prophetic word, this is just me messing with your minds. What if I told you you only had 10 years to live? What if I told you, because, by the way, no, no, stop me, Lord, I don't want to go down that road. What if I told you I had 10 years to live? What? You'd you react to that in different ways. You'd like, oh, Michael, he's full of it. That would be the most common. But if you believed me, your life would change. All of a sudden, you would have an expiration date. You would take today's date, you would add 10 years to it, you would write it down in your calendar, and every day between now and then would matter. Because you believe me, and in believing me, you changed your life, you recalibrated your life, you redirected your life. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. When you believe Jesus, all of a sudden what he says is more important than what you think. All of a sudden, his commands mean everything to you because now you realize that Jesus wasn't just out there preaching guilt, trying to make everyone ashamed. He never did that. What Jesus was doing was setting people free and giving them a stairway to holiness, to purity, to perfection. And so Jesus is the way. And so I warn you, if you follow Jesus Christ, it will not be easy. I think it's a whole lot easier than not following Jesus Christ, but that's my opinion. All right? It will not be easy, but I will tell you, because I will tell you, he will walk up to these messes in your life. He will get all up in your marriage, all up in your job, all up in your career. And he will start showing you he loves you. He'll start setting you free. He'll start cleaning up your mess. It's not easy. It's not a microwave thing. Throw your Bible in the microwave. Pop it in for 30 seconds, come out, I'm all fixed. That ain't going to work. It's a journey. It's like learning to walk. If you had children and you, learn, you watch them learn to walk and they get up and they take a step. Or they, they, my grandson Phineas was in a couple weeks ago and, and he's learning to walk. He's about nine months old. And so my son walks around the house with his fingers out and get, Phineas holds his fingers and runs all over the house. And every time my son stops, Phineas yells at him. And I laugh. It's the fun part of being a grandparent. I had eight children. I should laugh some, right? He's learning to walk. It's a beautiful thing. And he falls all the time. But luckily, he's so young, and he doesn't realize that falling's not okay. That's kind of our problem. We think falling is not okay. But our, we think our father is just like up there in heaven with that punishment thing going on when I don't get it because Jesus paid for the punishment he took all the penalty all that all that's done now we've moved from punishment to discipline and where God is helping us learn to walk 
And just like you, with your child or your grandchild, you're walking around with your fingers out, helping them learn to walk, and they're holding your fingers and your back's hurting, but you do it as long as they want to do it because you love them and you want them to learn to walk. That's exactly how your father is with you. Exactly. And when you fall, when your grandchild falls, you don't yell at them. Get up! Your wife will beat you down. You know it. You don't do that, and Father doesn't either. Father, Father helps you up. You got three steps in that time. I've been trying to beat this sin for 10 years. You made it a couple weeks. You made it a couple of months. You, you're learning to walk. My finances are a wreck. My relationships are terrible. Get up. Let's take another step. Let's try again. I'll wipe out. I'll pick you up. I'll pick you up. That's the way. The way is not perfection. It's never been perfection. We need to get rid of what Kerry Cobb, a friend of mine who just moved away, he said, we need to get away from the gospel of sin management and behavior modification. And we need to go to the root of all of this and let Father walk us into there. We need, we need to stop being so hard on each other's behaviors and being so much more loving, supportive, and challenging of each other's hearts and brokenness. That's the way. How do you get on the way? Because obviously I can go on all <laughs> a long time, and I've gone way off notes. And um, The Bible says in Matthew 7, 26, Jesus, and I'll, I'll warn you, Matthew 7 is a challenging, challenging chapter. The end of Matthew 7 to me is the most terrifying verse in the Bible. Verses in the scripture. But in Matthew 7, 26, Jesus says, anyone who hears my teaching doesn't obey it. They're nuts. I mean, he's foolish. They're like a person who builds a house on the sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat on the house, it's going to collapse with a mighty crash. The trailhead begins when you realize that your ideas, your thoughts, your plans, you leading your life is building your house on sand. That's when the change comes. I, we call it the defining moment. It, 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 we encourage people to have a defining moment, to, to take a point, draw a line in the sand, and to say, I'm following Jesus from this point on. We encourage people to do that. But here's what you've got to know. That is the beginning. That's the beginning, not the end. Not the end. It's the start of the way, the start of the journey. So you've got to ask yourself, how do you feel about God's Son directing your life? How do you feel about a guy who says, hey, things like, they're going to know you're my disciples by how much you love each other, when right now you can barely stand people. It's kind of a nationwide thing. It's not just you. How do you feel about that? Because then he goes on to say, <coughs> excuse me, I jumped to scripture here, so let me come back to it. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a, a person who builds a house on solid rock, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. So I just want to remind you today, here's how you walk into the way. This is how you start the journey. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, change your mind, change your mind, think differently about your way versus God's way. 
Godly sorrow leads to repentance, by the way. So a sorrow over where you've been is good, can be healthy, if it doesn't become self-pity. And he says, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So how you step into this way is you may have that defining moment. You draw your line in the sand. You say, okay, my way, Jesus' way, yeah. And you make that decision. Say, Michael, that's really simple. Yeah, that's the point. It's very simple. The next thing you do is you do what Jesus said. He tells us to be baptized. So you, you, you're, you're baptized. What does that mean, Michael? There's a lot of baptisms in the world. I don't know your faith background. If you were baptized as a child, that's covenant baptism. What that meant was is that your parents or whoever had you baptized was covenanting with God, whether they knew it or not, to raise you up in the faith and teach you how to follow Jesus. That's covenant baptism. That's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's talking about believer's baptism. What does that mean? Believer's baptism is when you realize that Jesus is the answer, you are not the answer, and you're going to follow Jesus. And so you are baptized as the first step of obedience because he said to be baptized, so you're baptized to do what he says. That's the first act of obedience as a Christian. That's believer's baptism. There are other baptisms. We don't deal with any of those other ones. We deal with the second one. We're not really good at covenant baptism because I scare the children. (laughs) We do dedicate families and children, though. So, I want to ask you to confirm your your defining moment. The red flags, the voices, and I am going a little long. Please forgive me and be patient with me. If you get done before I do, I understand. The red flags that I want to warn you about, the things that I hear often that I always dig into... And then I usually find a defining moment when I dig into them or I help someone get to a defining moment is people say things like, well, I've always been a Christian. I know, I get that. You were raised in a Christian family. So was I. But it's still very important that your faith has a beginning. It's very important for you that your faith has a beginning. So when I hear people say, I've always been a Christian, I always dig into that. They say, I've always believed. You may have always believed, and I would never question that. But the reality is, again, we need that moment where we realize Jesus is right and I am not. That has to happen, okay? Very important. Another one I hear is, I grew up in a Christian home. Praise the Lord. Great. But have you decided that Jesus is right and you are not? Does that make sense? This is where we begin. And so when we confirm that, then we move into the things of baptism real quick, real, real, real quick. Baptism is a public commitment. It says I'm on Jesus' side. Baptism is a metaphor for an eternal reality. If you were with us two Sundays ago, uh, we baptized 14 people in about 30 inches of water, and I pulled a hamstring, but it was, that was all for Jesus. I limped for a week, and it was worth every second of it. But we took people and we said, I baptize you, my brother or sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death, identifying us with going to the tomb with Jesus and leaving the worst parts of us there with him, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, now living with Jesus. It's a metaphor. Baptism is a mental metaphor to show you what's happened inside you the minute you say, Jesus is right and I am not. And the last thing it is, I love to share with people, and this is a a favorite symbol for me, is it's like my wedding band. This is my second wedding band. I don't know how you wear out a wedding band, but somehow I wore mine out. 
That sounds terrible, but <laughs> my wife got me a tougher one. <clears throat> well, the truth is, no, I don't have time. For, I, it's a great story, but I don't have time. I've gone too far already. Um, so 34 years ago, I stood in my mother-in-law's living room. My pastor, Brother Bob, stood there, and he, he read off the vows, asked me to say I will, I do, and I stood there in front of the love of my life, and I promised to love her forever. That's covenant. I promised I'll never leave you. No matter what I find, I'm staying. If you leave, I'm going with you. <laughs> I mean that more today than I did then. <laughs> I looked at her and I made that promise and he put this ring on my finger. And now when I look at this ring, it reminds me of a covenant relationship I have with my wife. Baptism is like a wedding band because every time I remember my baptism on Easter Sunday when I was six years of age, uh, which is funny because my, wife's, we, my wife and I did the records when we did the math one year and found out we were actually baptized on the same Easter Sunday, so that was cool. Every time I remember that day that I was baptized with Brother Taylor, six years of age, I remember I have a covenant. I'm in a covenant relationship. I'm in a covenant relationship with a God who's taken all all the responsibility and poured upon me all the blessings. So baptism is important. A defining moment. Baptism. And then you remember this is the beginning, not the end. Here's my conclusion. Please, please, please follow Jesus. That's, there, there's my sermon. The rest was introduction. You see, because there's this terrifying passage that says, and just as it's appointed unto men once to die, after that comes the judgment. You'll leave this life in victory or shame, and God will honor your choice. He will either give you what you could never deserve, or He will give you exactly what you asked for. Never ask God to be fair. Never ask God to be fair. So I don't know if you have 20 years, 20 months, 20 days, 20 seconds. I don't know what you got. All I know is you got an appointment. And I want you ready. I want you to stand in the promise where Jesus says, that we stand before Him without a single fault. Do you know why we stand before Him without a single fault? Because He has spent our entire lives walking through our faulty stories, fixing all the broken places. Isn't that beautiful? That's the way. So I'm asking you today, if you have never started that journey with Jesus, and if you're not ready for a journey and you are willing to start a conversation... I'm going to be over here on my right. Miss Linda is going to be over here. Hallie, if you're in here, if, if I, just keep an eye on us. Come over if we, can, if we get buried. I hope we do. That'd be awesome. You too, Becky. <laughs> keep an eye on us. <laughs> um, I just ask that you follow Jesus, and we will pray with anyone who wants to start the journey or even the conversation. You, you need to know we respect wherever you're at. Let's pray. Worship team. Father, it's been a good day.
Thanks for letting us have some fun and being able to laugh. But also thank you for helping us be able to do that and deal with a very weighty, eternally important subject. I just ask you to move through this body today. I pray for any life that's struggling that they don't know. And, and I, I get it. I, I would definitely be at that place where I'm like, I don't know if I'm interested or not. I, it sounds right, but I don't know what to do. Lord, I can't just go out and drag people to cross it. It's not even how you work. You go find them. But you are so honorable and so respectful, and so I will be the same. But Father, if you will give every heart that is seeking you, that, that has been searching for you, the courage to come and join me on my right, their left at the prayer tables, so we can help them walk in, into this faith journey, whether it's the first steps, whether it's a conversation, or whether it's drawing the line in the sand and saying, I will follow Jesus with my life. Thank you. You have been so, so good. You are every day, but today, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.